You're listening to the Far Side with Founders and Leaders podcast. The podcast that gives you a behind-the-scenes look of some of the world's most amazing founders and leaders, looking at their journeys and how they got to where they are today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Far Side with Founders and Leaders. I'm super excited to be joined by Rob Sewell today, who is CEO at SmartFrame Technologies. So they're a an image stream network that are helping uh, companies and individuals to really protect their their image rights online. Um, it's a real journey talking to Rob from his his humble beginnings all the way through to where he is now. There's some super interesting learns, so I hope you'll all get a load out of this one. I really enjoyed recording it, so sit back and check it out. Hello, Robert, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rupert. Thank you. So, um, first and foremost, thanks for thanks for coming on, and uh, happy New Year. We are in 2023. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, finally, finally here. Hopefully, a long, long and prosperous one for everyone. Um, so, so Robert, as as everyone will have just heard, given a brief introduction as to to who you are. Um, the reason you're on on today is that you've not only got a great product now in in terms of what you're doing with, with SmartFrame, but you've got a really interesting story to tell in terms of where where you've been and what it's taken for you to get to where you are now. So the the value that we're hopefully going to get from this, I, th- I think, is is huge. Um, and other people can really see sort of, you know, from where they are at an early stage now, you know, new, new year, new beginnings for a lot of people coming into, into sort of a, a, a new new year um, and see that they can they can sort of make it as far as they really want it's down to down to them uh to a degree with the effort that they put in and looking at say all, some of the challenges that we all all have to overcome through life so um i'd like to to start by really sort of taking it taking it all the way back and i don't normally do this but i think it's really important with with your story to do that to to take it right back to the beginning to your early days because you you sort of start started off sort of from a, a very early early age um working and and sort of grafting grafting through to to get to where you are now so can you just start from the the very beginning and, and tell us sort of where it all started for you um sure so um well, i come from a, a broken home um and a pretty troubled childhood um which led me to living on my own at a very young age uh, 16 um and really not having uh, the family support or financial support or the the opportunity for academia, um, it really left me this kind of sense of um, having to uh, go out there and, and fight for everything I, I needed to get. So that left me with a real kind of a drive and ambition uh, in life to get ahead, really out of, out of survival, pure survival really in those days. So it was really about keeping a roof over my head keeping food in my belly. Um, so I just had to go out there and make ends meet. Um, but also given that drive, it kind of created this or forged this real entrepreneurial spirit. Having come from a pretty tough background and quite a poor backgrounds, I wanted different for my life and my future and, and my future children as well. Um, so it left me with this big vision. Um, in some of those you know, traumatic childhood days, I remember I used to be laying in a school field, um, just staring up at the sky and 
and visualizing what the future might look like. And even then at sort of eight, nine years old, I was I was thinking, you know, going through this this trauma and this pain and this heartache for a reason. Um, and uh, it's just left me with this real uh, drive and ambition to create and improve a much better future, say for me and my future children. Um, and I guess what you said earlier on about new year and, and sort of creating new um, uh, new year's resolutions and, and setting goals. And I think back then I realized quite early on that if you think you can, generally you can, um, you know, your thoughts become your reality. If you think yeah. you can, you can. If you think you can't, you probably can't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's not easy, the journey getting there. But the, the the start point is understanding where you want to be. And so at a very young age, I had a very clear picture of what my the future self would be um, yeah. when I'm in my 40s. Not quite there, probably still a couple of years away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've come a long, long way from, from back then, laying in that field, looking up at the clouds, dreaming about it. And I've got two beautiful children. And, you know, some would say I'm, I'm reasonably successful, um, but still I haven't achieved. The vision was quite a big one. <laughs> and there's so, still a long so what, way to go what was the vision then that that's the key question that i've got where where did you see yourself at that that stage of being eight or nine years old lying in that field um uh, just being you know successful businessman um having my own company exiting that company um for you know a substantial sum and not just for the the financial uh gains of that but obviously to take myself out of the situation i was in and create um, freedom around me and my family so uh, to have that big exit you know along the journey which I suspect we'll talk about you know some highs and some lows uh, I believe smart frame is going to be the, the the big the big exit this is the the final the vision of the dream of that nine-year-old boy coming true in the next few years um, and obviously the you know not just the material things that go along with that financial freedom uh, but a bit of empower my children make sure that they're protected and they never have the kind of life or go through the kind of hardships that I went through, although I still want to teach them the lessons and, and the values that, that that taught me. Um, but the ultimate goal then is uh, to tell that story really. And I want to set up um, a uh, academy for entrepreneurs from disadvantaged backgrounds and then to finance them, mentor them and help their dreams come true too. Because, uh, you know, I didn't have the network in place. I didn't have the family in place. I didn't have the, qualifications i didn't have uh, the finance really i was i was fighting against all the odds yeah absolutely and there are loads of people out there who are i don't imagine there are many eight or nine year olds listening to this podcast but there may be i could be wrong <laughs> um but who will be in that sort of position whereby you know they, they are struggling and yeah, you know, there's lots of people out there struggling in in sort of life and finances and, and all sorts at the moment um you know, the world is, uh, if you turn on the TV, it's a big, bad, scary place. But as you say, a lot of it is down to how you sort of take take some of those challenges and struggles. And do you visualize success and then try and try and sort of go for it um, to get yourself out of the position that you're in? Um, I think something that I was, uh, whether I was taught or whether I sort of realized it fairly early on in, in my sort of life and, and career was that. The, the number one person who's going to help you is you, right? You're the you're the main person that can help your, help yourself. And it seems to me that that's sort of a, almost like a, not necessarily a mantra, but something that you've taken into into your your career, having tried loads of different things by just just trying to help yourself, better yourself every single step of the way. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, I think 
it has been a you know, particularly tough time the last few years with the pandemic and then obviously the war and now the recession. Um, you know, it's very easy to be caught up in in the doom and the gloom um, and be drawn down and you know sucked into some very negative thinking. But that, that's that's really the key thing. I mean, very early on, I read some some books like The Power of Now and um, you know The Journey and Road Less Traveled and all these good uh, stuff. And you know, the power of thought um, is really key. Um, and it's very easy to watch the news each day and then to be overcome by negative thinking. Um, you know, and then you think, oh, the recession is going to be here, and then you start worrying about the mortgage, you start worrying about the job, you start worrying, and, and all of a sudden, but the, you know, your thoughts become your reality. Yeah, um, it's really important to um, you know stay on top of those thoughts. Don't you know, when those negative thoughts come in, find the positive in there um, and try and turn it around. And, you know, one of my favourite sayings: is that "There's never a problem, only a solution." Um, but if you're always negative thinking, you're always focusing on the problem. Um, whereas if you're always positive thinking, you're trying to find a solution. Normally there is, there is a way to navigate around any situation you're, you're in. Um, if you have positive thinking, you're much more likely to have a positive outcome. And, and how, how have you managed to do that throughout your, your career then? Cause I think that's a really important tool that people can, can hopefully try and use. And it's, it's one thing to say sort of, you know, think, think positively, but then it's another, another thing to actually sort of do it and get yourself in the, the mindset. So is there a, is there a sort of any sort of way or, or technique or is it just something that you've naturally sort of you know, veered towards that sort of positive thinking given the, the sort of hardship that was all around you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, mine wasn't, you know, mine was out of necessity, not out of choice. Um, you know, I, there was no choice. You know, I had to face those problems. Um, you know, there, was, there was no, if I didn't, I was going to be on the street, um, you know, and homeless. So there was, you know, there was no, yeah, there's no other option i had to find a way through so um i mean that was probably what forged the the drive um obviously early on i had the ambition to create a better future um but i think then it's just not having that fear of failure um because you know failure is part of life um we're all gonna fail at some point and i've had some you know toe curling <laughs> things that i look back on um <laughs> But, but then, you know, from each each failure, you learn and you grow and to keep having that drive and, you know, not seeing it as a failure, but seeing it as a learning curve, seeing it, what can you, lessons can you take from that? And each time you grow, you know, you've got to be, if you want your life to change, um, you know, you have to do something different. If you do what you always done, you're going to get what you always got. And yeah. typically as human beings, um, we try to live inside our comfort zone. And being inside that comfort zone means we don't push the boundaries we don't test ourselves. We don't challenge ourselves. We don't put ourselves out there to fail because that's seen as a, a negative thing and a painful experience. Uh, but well, that for me, it's more painful standing still and having no change in my life. That was for me. That is, uh, you know, that's like death by a thousand cuts. I, I, yeah. I thrive on change. I thrive off of uh, problems and solving those problems and um, trying to change my life. You know. Yeah, you know, if I don't think I'll ever now, yeah, you know, it's very important to find contentment. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, you can't always be in that fight or flight mode. Um, you know, you need to find ways to balance your life and, and be comfortable as well. But if you're too comfortable for too long, um, then you you know you're not living really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's that same same saying that comes to mind of if you're if you're um, if you're standing still, you're going backwards basically, which. 
Um, doesn't actually make sense now I say it out loud again, but um, it does make sense in the sense that you, you need to be pushing forwards. And I think that's generally how we're, most of us are, are wired as humans is to, to look at sort of evolution progress and that's how we've evolved ultimately as a as a species so um and and you talked about sort of you know doing different things pushing yourself outside of your comfort comfort zone so um you are not like a you're not a techie by sort of nature or background you are a business person businessman through and through from from sort of your career and you've done loads of different things starting off by um yeah running running club nights all the way through to sort of where you are now so so talk to us a little bit more about that journey and some of the things that you've you've tried and you know where where you've had success and then perhaps where you've then sort of learned from some of the the challenges and the the sort of failures that have come along yeah sure so um obviously not a conventional or a traditional career path um and um you know, I've kind of reinvented myself several times, um, but that gives me quite a broad spectrum and understanding, you know, business and the function of business uh, is very similar, no matter what the market or the product or the solution or the service might be. Um, you know, taking a business to market is, there is kind of a, a, a formula, if you like, um, and there's things that you just fundamentally need to do, regardless of what that product or service or market looks like. Obviously it helps if we understand the market and the market uh, situations it's important you do your research and your analysis before before you enter into a new new area but um for me it's all started with um, music so living on my own at a very young age um actually I was um, my work experience was at a motorbike shop so I had a, a Saturday job doing motorbike mechanics yeah. um and when I got you know end up living on my own at 16 I, I went into that full-time just because I had to survive but I knew that my destiny wasn't going to be a mechanic <laughs> all my life given the vision I had at such a young age yeah. um, so I was always searching and hunting for for the opportunity to get ahead and living on my own at such a young age meant that I you know I was kind of um, you know I was the cool kid in, you know, whilst I was probably deeply unhappy and, and quite angry and frustrated inside and and hurting um, on the outside you know people saw you know a kid living on his own at a young age that's where everyone went and hung out and yeah. that's where the parties happened and, yeah <laughs> uh, you know because so I, was, I was the cool kid in many ways um and you know having you know fought two for now and I was in survival mode you know, I was you know I didn't put up with any any nonsense from anyone either so um ironically what was actually hurting and, and painful inside of me was like really cool to the kids hanging around on the outside that were still living at home with their parents and yeah. and what I was going through. So that led me to in some interesting situations. Um, and before you knew it, I was having some pretty wild house parties. Um, and before you knew it, I was, um, you know, knocking around um, with some big club promoters, um, got a resident DJ by the time I was 19 in one of the largest clubs in Kent, Um and uh, you know, a thousand people every Friday night, people like Brandon Bott and Boy George and uh, nice. Mick Park, Thatcher and Digweed, etc., used to you know, warm up for Judge Jules, etc. Um, and you know, as again, now it's like, wow, he's you know, lives on his own at 19, and you know, by now, I've got some nice clothes and a nice guy, and, and he runs club nights, yeah, the person and, I'm, to know. <laughs> and I'm DJing to a thousand people, so yeah. it's just kind of this, but it was all a hype around this kind of this character, I was still, you know, it wasn't. Wasn't um, I guess it wasn't authentic. It wasn't me. It was just me trying to get ahead. Um, but I realised quickly that the money I was earning from DJing wasn't, um, you know, compared to the person who was taking the money on the door, 
Um, you know, I could learn, earn a lot more if I was paying the DJs, not being the DJ. Uh, and by now, I had all the network of all these amazing DJs that I could book. So by the time I was 20, I was running my own nightclub, monthly nightclub, some Kiss FM and Mix Magazine, and used to have queues around the block, people coming in, all cash. Um, so was, by the time I was uh, 20, it was... I was, you know, traveling up and down the up and down the country to various different club nights. I was, you know, making good money. Um, you know, by now living in a much nicer environment, driving a nice car and clothes, and and so everyone was like on the outside looking in. Wow, this guy's, you know, having a having a great time. Um, but it actually, it was quite superficial. Um, it was quite hedonistic, um, and it wasn't really kind of the life I wanted to live. And I couldn't see a future in it. Fast forward twenty years. You know, having a family and children, being a good role model. Um, and at the same time, about when I was about 21, my half-brother, whose father had committed suicide when he was younger, um, found that he was living on his own as well, and he was only 15. And, and uh, so not wanting him to go through what I went through, I, I decided to hang up my headphones and become a registered foster carer. And uh, I fostered my half-brother. He'd come and live with me. Um, I wanted to be a good role model. I decided to reinvent myself because I thought this isn't my future. And, and that's really when I understood about, you know, really being authentic um, and being true to yourself and your values. And in the DJ days, while I was earning money and having a crazy lifestyle, which most people at 19, 20, 21 would love to live, um, it wasn't it wasn't really sustainable and it wasn't really authentic to my true self. And so it took a period of time as I, you know, I had some finances behind me now uh, and re-qualified. I got two black belts in martial arts. I became a Reiki master, yoga instructor, Thai masseur. Uh, went on uh, courses with Buddhist monks doing meditation and spent a real sort of spiritual awakening and self-personal you know, development period for the first couple of years. And uh, started a new business called Holistic Personal Training Services. And before you know it, very quickly, um, you know, I had a lot of high net worth individuals. I was going around their houses, doing training with them. Um, whilst I was building that business to, to supplement it, I'd done some um, had some agencies because I was super fit by now. I was doing marathons, biathlons, triathlons, um, competing professionally in martial arts, kung fu, kickboxing, Thai boxing. Um, so I was super fit and um, I had an agency. I had some small walk-on parts on TV shows such as EastEnders and The Bill. Um, I'd, uh, I was in, appeared in a few magazines and, and such. Um, and so all of a sudden my, my network uh, built up through these high net worth individuals. And again, it was some people like, wow, he's now on TV, he's in magazines, and he's going around these amazing houses, training these high net worth individuals, what an amazing life. And But now it's a true, much more authentic and true to myself and my values and who I was as an individual. Um, and that's where real success comes, um, I believe. Um, from just, that, just- I started- Sorry, just on on that then, because you've talked about network, and I think that's a really interesting point, right? In terms of uh, by the sounds of so, first both of those those jobs um, or careers and and things that you've been doing in in those two sectors, from what you've just said to me, seems like you've built up a network and you've managed to elevate yourself by continuing to build that network. So you talked about like the formula of building a business. Well, I'm assuming that part of that is by building a good group of people around you and a network and leveraging that network. It's all about networking. Absolutely. It's not, you know, I guess it, when it, it is important what you know, it's when you say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, but at the beginning, I didn't quite frankly know bugger all. It was yeah. definitely who I knew, not what I knew. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so I know a lot more now. Yeah. Um, but still that, that's still it's still probably an equal proportion. Yeah, you, know, you can you can know know it all, but if you don't know the right people to to execute on it, the, that knowledge is is pointless. So yeah. um likewise if you can know all the right people, um not have any knowledge and the network's not very good. So um but certainly at the beginning, networking is king. And and that's really kind of, you know, by now in my mid twenties. I then started running wellbeing holidays. Um, and these were, you know, high net worth individuals, CEOs of companies. And what they all saw in me was this, this energy and this drive um, and this passion. Um, and that's really powerful. You know, people recognize that. And, you know, certainly when I'm recruiting, that's probably one of the first things I look for in an individual. Yeah. I don't look at the particular, you know, quickly scan their CV and make sure they stick around in their jobs. Um, you know, if they job hopping every year, that tells me something. Um, I certainly um obviously look that make sure that they've got the right kind of qualification experience. But by far, the measure for me is the person sitting in front of me, the you know, the spark in their eye, the way they carry themselves, their energy, their drive, their ambition, their purpose, their passion, and their ambition in life. Um, because you know, you can't teach people those things. Yeah. Uh, you can you can train people on all the other stuff and yeah. living everything. Yeah, um, I've still never been to university, never been to college, but you know, I've put up mistakes in lawyers' contracts that I pay ridiculous hourly rates to. I can spot an error in a massive five-year forecast spreadsheet that I pay accountants, very high-end qualified yeah. accountants, and I'll spot the number. Not only will I spot the number, I can also tell them why that number's wrong. Um, you know, I haven't got the qualifications that those lawyers have or those accountants have, but I can I'm I can see the the errors and and you know, ultimately from my business activities that creates the work for them. Um, yeah. So I think you know, knowledge is obviously power, but um, networking is king. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, it's a, it's a really important point, and I think that um, yeah, certainly from my profession, obviously I effectively as a recruiter professional networker it's kind of the other the other sort of job I, I see myself having. But I, I think it's something I always try and impress on people when they're they're looking at starting a business is. You know, to leverage their network and and use their network, build a network, and it's going to help you so much, so much more than by having this all this great idea with all this knowledge. And as you said, you can have all of those things, but if you don't have the right people to to help you sort of you know put it forward in in the right places, it, it's going to be it's certainly going to be a lot tougher, if not impossible, to to get it all uh, all sort of moving forwards. Absolutely, and, and people by people, so you know, don't just leverage a network for networks network's sake be yeah. genuine be authentic be that passionate person and generally you know humanity you know my, my goal is to exit this business and create that academy academy for disadvantaged entrepreneurs but, you know, as human beings we want to help other human beings you know it's part yeah. of our purpose in life um but we you know so we really kind of resonate uh, i think when you see someone that's got that torches on you know the lights are on there's a, a real drive and a passion and purpose it's um you know it's it's super attractive and to other human beings to want to help that person fulfill that 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 mission um so you know be genuine be authentic don't network and leverage people just because you want to try and get ahead and leverage who they are just be genuine and build a genuine relationship and those people naturally will want to support you on your journey totally agree and and so um in terms of then your journey then so sorry we, we sort of half interrupted you there but you're talking about obviously the the fact that you were sort of you know leveraging that network with the the fitness fitness um uh, and well-being uh, service that you're offering to people working with high net worth individuals 
um, and then you sort of pushed push that forward. And then I know you you then sort of started up the My Phone Club um, as a, uh, well, yeah, as a bit, bit so, before that. So it was actually, um, yeah, let's say that, I guess, you know, by now I was, I'd obviously learned a fair bit around business. These were kind of lifestyle, you know, well-paid, more lifestyle kind of businesses, not something with real equity value. And I don't think I truly understood equity value and, and exiting and, and that stuff at that point, still only sort of mid-20s, I guess. Um, but on, on one of these retreats, I met the most, you know, we talk about network. The key thing is I you know, come from a council estate, uh, you know, broken home, lived on my own in a pretty rough uh, spot, um, you know, rented a room in a really tough area um, at 16 to now sort of 26, um, running amazing wellbeing retreats in San Kimbos and Lyme Regis in Devon with, you know, CEOs of these companies and, you know, earning good money and living in a much nicer environment. So, um, you know, that network, you know, I'd taken myself from, in, from a very different environment. Environment's king as well, right? So take myself yeah. from one environment and it could have gone completely the other way if I had carried on going down the DJ and the music industry way. Um, but I decided that was the wrong environment for me. So I created a much more sustainable and healthy and holistic environment through the well-being, which led me to this amazing network. So now, you know, my networks, rather than, you know, the kids from the, the block, in the, back in the day, were were this this um, you know, the, these high net worth individuals and CEOs, which some of them the most amazing uh, people and, and inspiring people of my life. And in fact, it was on that particular journey there that I met one of the biggest mentors um, and uh, probably one of the most life changing uh, people I've ever met. A very good friend of mine called Neil Davidson, um, who just saw that passion, that drive. Is a very successful entrepreneur um, and just, again, sort of resonated with, with the my vibe and, and really wanted to help me. And, and we sort of went around setting up businesses and he taught me so much over the next few years um, that I really understood then what it is to you know, build a share register, to raise investment, what equi you know, equity and, and forecasting, yeah. you know, much bigger much bigger rather than lifestyle business actually think national think international um you know how can you build something you know reoccurring income streams and yeah um and i just sucked it up like a sponge um learned so much um and we went on to you know to do a few different ventures together um you know again made you know, made a reasonable coin but predominantly actually was the learning was you know i guess that was probably my my university right there yeah. Um, and then I, by now it's sort of late twenties, and thought I was thought I knew it all, um, and I was starting up a company called My Phone Club, which um, which I thought this was the the big one, um, and you know got some big investment behind it, got all the networks on board. Um, it was at the time when you know, mobile phones were completely uncustomer centric, you know, um, high fluctuating bills, long term contracts. Um, poor customer service, no real value or rewards above and beyond the, uh, the 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 SIM in your phone, and you have to pay a lot of money for the phone. So I've, I've come up with this idea that would actually, what if we could create a much more customer centric solution? So a fixed cost, rolling monthly contracts, a flexible contract. You could upgrade your upgrade or downgrade with one month's notice. Switch network provider with one month's notice. Um, high customer service. And then uh, a ton of rewards, so discounts at hotels and gym memberships and et cetera, et cetera, and built yeah. a national program of rewards. We've got all the networks on board, um, got a distribution partner. We had uh, implants in all the staple stores across the UK. 
and it was starting to take off. Um, and then uh, a few things hit me, which I hadn't foreseen. Um, maybe I was a little bit more naive than I, I realised. Um, one, I'd taken on a, a, um, a convertible loan from a Romanian investor who was a multi-billionaire. Um, his lawyer, right up until the day before, told me he was going to convert, and I trusted the, the feedback I was having. I'd never realised that anyone could behave like this in business. And and then the day, literally up to the day before, and then on the day it was due to convert, they demanded repayment on demand. Right. And I was like, it was £250,000. I'm like, guys, you've been, you told me like literally yesterday afternoon at 5 pm, you said you're going to convert. And now at 9 am the next morning, you're saying you want it on demand. Like, I'm facilitated for that. You, why would I? Um, yeah, I just absolutely. Like a quarter of a million pound out there. And then they just use that because they had um, uh, security over the company uh, assets to just leverage me and leverage me and pile on interest, on interest, on interest. Um, which I started paying. Um, long and short of it, they actually got over two hundred sixty thousand. No, it was two hundred thousand. He lent me, sorry, and they got two hundred sixty thousand back. Yeah, um, and he was still leveraging me on more interest. So the guy was a multi-billionaire. He actually made sixty grand out of me and was still trying to leverage me and, and squeeze me because of the, the way they kept changing the conditions. So one lesson there is don't do convertible loans. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely yeah. go down that road again. Yeah. Um, and and also do your due diligence and choose your investors wisely. At the time yeah. when people, especially when you're in early start mode and you're, and you're desperate to get some investment in and move forward, don't you know take your time because that that 200k could be the end of your business. Um, so you're better off not taking that 200k and finding it somewhere else and find the right partner. Than the wrong partner. Um, I agree with that. The right partner is is crucial, especially when when you're looking at funding. They've got a they've got you've got to believe in them, but they've got to believe in you, and you've got to share. They've got to share the vision. I think that's so important because sometimes people come along with with money, and as you say, they dangle that carrot, and they've got something. They've got an ulterior motive, and it's really difficult to say no to the money. But you're much better off, as you've just said, saying saying no walking away there will be another investor at another point um provided you go out there you network you leverage the network and do all those things and, and work hard to try and find it it's a bit you know a bit like a job interview as well i guess you know it's a two-way street whenever i'm when i'm ever i'm interviewing someone um to come and join the company i'm not um you know i realize that actually i'm also sending them the opportunity it's not like hey you're going to come and work for me i'm going to pay yeah. you salary actually you're a great talent i want you on board i feel that i've been interviewed just as much as i'm interviewing the kk if it's the right candidate um yeah yeah it's, it's a two-way street and it's got to be a good fit both sides and that's no different with investment you know, just because someone's dangling 100 200k in front of you doesn't mean you need to grab it are they the right candidate are they the right investor for your company and that's probably just if not more important than the money they're going to put in because they could become a real headache even you know the death roll at the end of it if, yeah. if it's the wrong candidate so so that's that was a big lesson I learned um, early on, and finding the right people. Um, you know, brought on some friends and some people that I knew around me because uh, it was easy, and giving them an opportunity. And, and I realised that you know, finding right people, you know, right the right money and the right people is absolutely critical to success. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess then um, at the same time, there's a couple of other things. The networks clocked on what I was doing. I was taking market share and business away from them. Um, and so they started changing terms on me. Um, and now I guess what O2 rewards and um, you know, it's more customer centric packages. And I was quite yeah. ahead of my time. So timing is also key. I think I was 
quite early on um, from a from an innovation and a vision point of view. Now most of the networks are you know reward programs, flexible contracts, fixed pricing, all the stuff that I was doing. I mean, I'm talking about well now 17 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that, that's you can see it now, Brett. So they kind of sort of started changing their terms on me, um, and at the same time, Staples uh, started closing down their stores and went online. So all the you know, distribution things. So the combination of the networks, the Staples, and then this guy breathing down my neck, and I'd already given him two hundred sixty thousand back against two hundred. I was like, this is all just it was all just too much. Um, so unfortunately, that was a that was a huge. Some might say failure. I'm going back to that failure thing, but actually, that was probably the biggest learning lesson and if i look back and evaluate now there's no convertible loans in this business yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 there's no i'm not even employ any friends or family yeah. in this business um, you've looked yeah. at your threats of other other places that could do the same thing if they could suddenly take that market share away from you and because you're all taking the eye, share away the from them so we're not relying on any networks or any other third parties you yeah know, distribution is direct there's no distribution partner with you. so it's you know all these um yeah, it's probably without that, what some might say, failure, I wouldn't be as successful as I am today. So it was a huge, it was a lesson. And you know, that's what, you know, it's not about getting it wrong. It's about learning from it and make, not making the same mistake twice, right? Yeah. And then so, so then that, that leads us up to, to where you are, where you are now then. So having learned all those lessons, you've, you've sort of now uh, taken on on board the mantle at CEO with uh, with SmartFrame. So tell, tell us a bit more about what you're doing there. Yeah, so um, after closing down my phone club, actually, I was quite well connected in the office supplies industry. Another one of my directors is a very good friend of mine as well. Um, got me out of the, out of the pinch there, and I'd actually done a stint for about a year with uh, the Portuguese manufacturer, um, where I was doing a turnaround for them, managing the UK and Ireland operations. Um, there are 50 million uh, turnover business, um, 13 million in the UK and Ireland in declining revenues to come in and sort of fix some customer contracts, supply chain issues, staffing issues, and turn that around to, uh, in the first six months, from 13 to 14 million turnover revenues and growth stage again. Um, by now, I was you know, in a very comfortable position, um, two children, a nice house in the country, um, and really most might say you know, I was in quite a comfort zone, actually. It was good salary and company cars and all the rest of it. That should have maybe been enough. <laughs> and maybe for most it would at 39. Um, but, uh, but I had that big exit. And it's amazing how powerful a, a thought at nine years old was and how it drives and defines your future. And um, at that point, these guys come and knocked on my door through a mutual contact and through that network. Um, everyone realized my drive and ambition and, and, you know, taking new opportunities to market. And they said, you know, you're the guy for this, this job. And so I met the, the founder, um, it was a very different business now. It's called pixel rights. It was a, a website service for photographers. Um, and we were focused on, uh, on image protection and presentation where the first iteration of the smart frame was, was formed. Um, and, uh, I was just fascinated by the technology, um, it was just two guys working evenings and weekends, um, Polish of heritage, one in London running a web design agency as a day job, uh, but outsourcing that development to a guy in, in Poland who's doing the development. And they wanted to create their own platform. And, and so they you know, got it to a certain stage with a few hundred photographers using it. Um, and whilst I was, you know, all the perks of doing a 13 to 14 million revenue and, and all the rest of it, um, 
I, I just, it was, I didn't have equity in that business. I wasn't going to have a big exit. Um, it was office supplies, which was pretty, pretty bland. It wasn't authentic. <laughs> it wasn't my passion or my purpose. It was yeah. purely a paycheck. Um, and so that's, that didn't turn me on, uh, from that point of view, it's really important to, to live your truth. Um, and, uh, so I resigned, uh, the company couldn't even afford to pay me a, a penny. Um, still had a mortgage for the, you know, the big house in the country and the rest of it. So it was a, it was a pretty bold move. It just, I was about to hit 40, uh, with two kids as well. Um, but I did it and, um, now, you know, 13 million pound of funding later, 40 staff globally, growing to 80 staff uh, this year, global partners and networks on board. Um, you know, we're very close to redefining the digital image standard. Um, and you know, there's definitely sight of a, a multi-billion pound business here in, in the in the very near future. Excellent. So this this is this is the one then for the uh, for the exit. This is this is, I believe, this is what I was put on the planet to do. Oh, very good. And in terms of so some of those those lessons then that you've you've sort of learned, I'm imagining there's a lot that you've taken from from some of those past experiences and learns into to what you're doing now, which is which is obviously why they they said, yeah, come on board. We want you. You're the, the person for the job. Um, so w- what have you seen, though, coming through from SmartFrame being in it, its original format to two people doing it in their sort of you know, part time? um took you on couldn't really afford to take you on to, to pay you anything but how, how have you gone about sort of building it from from that to what it is now and and where you'll take it over the course of the next you know three to five years sure well to get me on obviously there was no money in the bank to pay me it was a, a negotiation of equal equity to the founders which is the reason why i made the move um because that was that was my driver right so, so yeah when we exit I, can create all the things we discussed earlier um so once that was put to bed the first thing to do was uh, put a business plan together which didn't exist the, the shareholder agreement and articles association and all that good stuff and within three months uh we'd done all that and secured our first three hundred thousand pound of investment cash in in hand in the bank and at that point there was some oxygen and we could start really looking at what's what's what this was all about. And um, so we spent then a few months to really analyze the market. And as I was right, my instincts and, and guts, you know, protecting images for photographers was was one thing. But as you dug deeper beneath the surface, it was phenomenal, the issues. I mean, there's now, you know, the first image was published on the internet in 1992. The picture of the Les the a parody pop group. Not many people know that. Even people very high up in photography industry. Yeah. Important to do your research and know yeah, your wow. marketplace. Um, and of course, since then, you know, internet technologies evolved rapidly. There's now over, you know, everyone's got a, a high-end camera, internet-enabled camera in their pocket. Um, and there's over one and a half trillion images taken a year. And people think, you know, because of the J, and we're still using a JPEG from the 90s. It's, yeah. You know, world's moved on, everything but the image format. And um, and if you look at the, but if you look beneath the surface, you know, image theft, a JPEG, you can right click, you can drag and drop, you can screenshot. There's no way of controlling it. And um, that represents a number of problems. Um, you know, if you're a photographer or an image library licensing your content, um, you license it once and then it gets misused hundreds, if not thousands of times with no payment. You can imagine the impact that has on, on their livelihood. And that's an industry because there's so much free content that's been in decline for over a decade. Yeah. You know, in 2006, the average stock photography license was $268 by 2020, it's just $4.20. 
Wow. So that's a huge impact in an area we want to champion in power. Um, then you've got you know, brand imagery being stolen and used for counterfeit sales online, fooling consumers into thinking they're buying genuine product. Four and a half trillion dollars a year spent on counterfeit goods, mostly online and using genuine brand product imagery. Harmful goods going to consumers, brand reputational damage, loss of revenue to the brands, finance going to criminal activities. So there's a real need to actually protect brand assets and show consumers this is authentic content. Yeah. And then from the authentic point of view, uh, we're working on a, a project of Adobe Content Authenticity Initiative. Um, when images are so easily stolen and manipulated, how can you trust what you see? There's a lot of fake news, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda. Um, from a consumer point of view, can you trust the media you're consuming online now? Because it's so easily manipulated and, and stolen. Um, so that's an area that we want to prove the authenticity of imagery on, online as well. And then, of course, on the personal end of the spectrum, we're all putting lots of personal content on social media, um, you know, fake profiles, identity theft, catfishing, you know, worst case scenario, pictures of children being stolen and used in unsavory ways. So, you know, actually, there's an internet wide problem here. When you realize the scale of that problem and these harmful impacts that image misuse can have, um, there was clearly a huge opportunity to go after. And, and if you look at the early days of the internet, there's very similar problems in terms of piracy and value leakage in the music and film industries due to downloadable file formats. And now yeah. both obviously offer streamed content, all music and film is streamed. They've regained rights control and are prospering. So once I realized that, I realized image streaming and controlling the way images are published and distributed online and a vision of redefining the digital image standard to become the incumbent format uh, was, a, was a huge opportunity. And with clarity of vision and, and putting that down on paper uh, on a business plan, it, it wasn't long before it attracted huge investment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, again, through networks, very fortunate. Most of the business in the early days was built through my network. Um, met some phenomenal people that were in the industry that led me to people in the industry and opened up doors across, you know, globally. We've never worked in photography before, but, you know, someone in my network knew that person in my network who knew that person and, and that person. And, and you follow that trail of network and same to an investor. We met the most incredible chairman um, who'd become our biggest single investor. And his network of people, investors, were just phenomenal. Um, you know, it's all been privately funded. Um, I've not even had to really go out to market. Um, and we have over £13 million of funding um, for individuals. It's just been incredible. Um, Pretty successful so story, really, I think. Yeah, all the, all the investment, all the market opportunity. Again, being authentic, I really believe in this. I believe this has a, a positive social impact to society. You know, there's some real... Uh, societal issues when it comes to image misuse online. I really believe in that passionately. So it's been authentic and a very clear vision, articulating that vision and then leveraging your network. So they know you've got the passion, the drive, with a clear vision, you've been authentic to yourself and then leverage your network. And again, you, the, the support that just rallies around you. It's just, you know, uh, and again, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Just yeah, believe. Yeah, there's always going to be problems. Don't get me wrong; it's not been an easy ride. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, never a problem, only a solution. Finding a solution. But the key thing is having an absolute clear vision of where you want to take it, and then being convicted to that, and being authentic to that, um, and never letting go of that. You know, every morning I meditate, and then visualize 
all the way through i see all the way through to the you know the staff party the shareholder party um even the, the you know the financial times smart frame exit and the value of the exit yeah. um, it's so ingrained in in everything that I, in my, all my thought processes that it's in my in my head it's already a reality Amazing. Well, I, w- I was going to ask you for your um, your sort of your words of wisdom at the end, but I think you've, you've just covered it, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. It's really, really insightful. You've gave, a, a firstly, quite frankly, um, yeah, very candid sort of view in terms of, you know, your, your past and your history. So I really appreciate that and thank you and applaud you for it. Um, you've certainly come a long way from from when you were uh, well, even that that eight year old lying in a in a field, and it just shows the power of that vision, having that vision, working towards it. As you've said, you really can achieve it if you if you try and sort of work towards it. And I I have no doubt that uh, you'll make a success of it. You know, hope hopefully with Smart Frame, um, and uh, you know, make sure that you're you're sort of achieving all those those goals that you had from, let's say, when you were way back when lying down in that field. Thank you. And I mean, I mean that's you know, going back to the very start. That's the the probably one of the biggest things is the power of thought. You know, be careful what you think. You know, your thoughts will become your reality. So if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. So just think positively, and and ultimately, you know, thoughts become actions. Thoughts become words. Words become actions, and actions become reality. So control. You know, make sure you're thinking the right things, and and they'll become your future. It's really good. Thank you, Robert. And I say really powerful stuff. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me today. And I think you've probably got a lot more stuff that you could probably share. So uh, no doubt we'll, we'll talk in the background and maybe episode. maybe talk about, yeah, exactly. Episode two, we'll, we'll come and do it. There's so much stuff I think that we can we can talk about that will help other people in terms of their their path to success, whatever that may be. So thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fireside with Founders and Leaders podcast. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, make sure that you hit the subscribe button now so that you can get alerted every time that we launch a new episode, meaning you'll never miss your favorite session. We really hope you can join us next time. And thanks again for listening to the Fireside with Founders and Leaders podcast.